Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6 is where we will spend our time together this morning as we continue our series uh, titled Unveiled the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, throughout this series, uh, we have taken time to uh, work our way through the book of Revelation uh, through each chapter, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so now we are in chapter 6. We have gone through the different movements. If you remember, uh, the book of Revelation unfolds for us in three major sections. Uh, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, John was given uh, this instruction that he was to write the things that he had, had seen, the things that are, and the things that are to come. And so chapter 1 was the exalted uh, vision of Jesus Christ in glory. Uh, chapters 2 and 3 uh, covered the things that are, the church age. And then chapters 4 to the end of the book carry with it the things uh, that are to come. And so we are now in this particular section, the third section of the book. And this is the one that most people uh, want to know about and how to understand all these things. And so today uh, we're going to be specifically looking uh, at the four horsemen is the title of today's message. And we're going to see uh, now that the lamb has taken the scroll, uh, what we saw in chapter five, and now he begins to open the scroll uh, what happens uh, as he as he opens uh, these particular seals? You see, this particular book is important for us to remember that uh, the Lord, uh, through John, is giving us this great gift uh, for us to know the work of God throughout generations of Christianity, that uh, the original audience would have been encouraged just like this audience today. And so we look to this particular book to show us uh, how we should reflect and uh, we should respond to God and his work. Now, let me just give the disclaimer on the front end. Uh, we're going to be hitting some pretty serious things today uh, because we have made a turn. And I believe that uh, the church is now in heaven and uh, we are with the Lord in glory. Uh, we get an opportunity to be able to see what things will follow uh, from uh, the, the wrath of God, the wrath of the lamb and how things are going to work. Now, I have some as I've said many times, I have some brothers that disagree with me about where the church is during this time, and they are welcome to be wrong. And uh, and so uh, we will look today uh, at some serious things as the seals are open. Uh, you know, before we jump into our passage, though, I think about many times um, you know, in our lives, there are things that we are afraid of. And as we hear these difficult things, you know, some people look at this and say, you know, God's just trying to scare me into a relationship, you know, with him, uh, scare me into obedience. And can I just tell you, it makes me think about my son. My son's four. And uh, he has a, a tendency to want to do what he wants to do. And uh, there'll be many times where I'll tell him, you know, son, don't play near the street. Don't run down by the street. Don't go down there, you know, by the street. And guess where he runs to by the street. OK. And so. You know, he's not aware of what all the dangers are in the street. He doesn't know what all is coming and what all can happen to him. And so there'll be many times that I, I use this tactic on him because I know he's afraid of dogs. He'll be running to the street and I'll go like that right there. And he'll turn around and run right back to me. 
Come on back in here, son. And so I will use this thing that he is afraid of uh, to, to be able to give him uh, safety and provision for something that's much more sinister, much more deadly and difficult. And what I find is, is as we look to the book of Revelation, as we move to these seals, I believe that God is unveiling for us, opening up human history for us to understand what it's really going to be like. So thus we will make the decision to turn and to run to him. You see, um, there is a time that's coming to be very difficult uh, on this earth. You know, as a church, we went to Japan uh, twice uh, as our brother Spencer, who does the welcome here. As he was a missionary there, we had the opportunity to go and spend time with him as he was sharing the gospel there uh, in Japan. And uh, before going to Japan, I had no idea that it was prone to earthquakes. And uh, so when I got there, you know, I found out this revelation as prone to earthquakes. And uh, as, uh, as, as I attest today, I had never knowingly experienced or felt an earthquake until I went to Japan. And uh, we were in the apartment and uh, in, the, in the middle of the night, the building go to shaking and moving. I'm like, man, that's an earthquake. Like, that's what that is. And I remember looking around thinking, uh-oh, trouble. And uh, stayed up for a little bit. You know, I'm talking to the guys like, man, what just happened? And so then we go back to sleep. Still dark in the room. We go back to sleep. And in the night, we woke up and, and beside me by my bed where the wallpaper was, there was this crack going right down the side by where my head is. I'm like, oh, no, I got to get out of Japan. I got to go. <laughs> and so that realization of the fact that earthquakes are a very real and present thing in Japan started me thinking and around the city there would be these billboards, these signs that were up that would have information about what, you, what you're supposed to do in the event of an earthquake. And what I find is, is that God is calling us to look to his word because he has put up this big sign. He's put up all this information of what we're supposed to do about this coming storm that's going to be happening on this planet. And so I hope that you will Focus in with me today as we look at these things and allow these things to cause us to understand how God is loving us and how he's calling us to trust him and to live for him. You see, Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, uh, he took the time to talk to his disciples about the time that we're going to be seeing. And I'm going to submit to you that we are going to be looking at the beginning pieces of the great tribulation, a period of seven years that are going to be very difficult uh, on this planet. And so Jesus, while he was here on this earth, he was at the temple and the disciples had some questions for him about this time. And so before we look at our passage in Revelation, I thought it'd be helpful for us to see his words, because I, I believe that these provide for us a template or a structure in which we are to see our passage today. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 24, starting in verse one, it says this. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when Will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, first movement here, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, 
I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. You see, I find from our passage, the structure that we're going to see these is fourfold movement where our Lord, as he begins to break the seals, we will see this idea of deception, this idea of destruction, this idea of deprivation and this idea of death, that these things will be uh, clear in their movements. And so as we take our time to study this, there's really one overarching idea that I want to get across this morning. That as we look to the, the difficulties and we diagnose the things around us, many of us can look at our world and say, you know, I, I know some places where there's war. I know some places where there's famine and pestilence and hardship and difficulty. And we would see that these things are just the shadow, the shadow of the reality that is to come. But we don't have to worry because the lamb is still in control. And when we think about the days and the times in which we live, that just like whenever the church, when they first received this correspondence, they were encouraged. We too today can be encouraged. I hope you've had an opportunity. To find Revelation chapter 6, I'm going to read our first section, the first seal, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud, as with a voice of thunder, come. I looked and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. So the first thing we're going to see is the first seal, seal of deception. And we see the movement that we have been in chapter five, seeing that the lamb was worthy to be able to take the scroll, the scroll, the book, the deed uh, to the earth. He was able to take it out of the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. And now we get a chance to see uh, what's going to happen as he begins to break the seals, as he begins to open it up. And what we should first see in this passage, he says, I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals. So this is a great picture to show that Jesus Christ, he has the authority and reason for the judgment to come. That what is getting ready to happen is happening as the lamb breaks the seal. And so what you should see and what I should see is that the lamb is in control. That no matter what happens, no matter what happens on this planet, no matter what happens individually, collectively, globally, that the lamb is in control. We see that this control he still he uses the lawless deeds of men, but he is still in control. And it says he broke one of the seven seals. And as he is doing this, catch this conjunction. And and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. 
We've run into this idea of thunder and what it means. We know that that thunder is a picture, is a symbol of the fact that a storm is coming. You know, growing up, anybody growing up, whenever you heard thunder, you were taught to count 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, and then you'd listen to it again, and it would let you know how far off. We got anybody that would do that? I see those hands. And it would let you know of a coming storm that was about to happen to you. And so what God is doing, he is letting us know that there's a coming storm of his divine wrath in which he's going to pour out on all of the earth. And and as we look to this, as we look to this storm, what it reminds me of is the fact that God, he has made us all, all of those who know this, he has made us all meteorologists. You know how the meteorologist works. You know, it's, it's their job to be able to study the atmosphere, to know what is getting ready to happen, what type of weather we should expect. They, they have all this equipment and tools and they can forecast for us and they try to give us the seven day forecast and they try to let us know the day by day or the hour by hour forecast. So that way we'll know what we need to do. Right. We, we look, we turn on the news and we watch the weather so that way we can make life decisions. If it's going to be cold, what we're going to wear, if it's going to be raining, you know, sisters, look, I just got my hair done. I ain't trying to get that messed up. Right. I put a cap on that head, cover that thing up. Umbrella. And so we see all these things as as a as a forecaster, as a meteorologist. He lays these things out and it should determine uh, how we respond and how we live our life. You see, I believe God He has called us to see that we are meteorologists. He has given us the forecast and he's letting us know that there's a storm that is coming. We have to be willing. To share. You see, as he breaks the seal. Let's just dive down in here as he breaks the seal. We, we hear the voice that says, come. And then we see he came and he looked. He says, I looked and behold, what kind of horse? A white horse. It says a white horse. I saw a white horse. Now, as he breaks the seals, let me just go ahead and go before you just a second here that we're going to see that each one, as he breaks these first four, that there's going to be a horse that comes out and it's going to have a different color. The color white, white has to do with victory or one who has conquered. We'll see that on the back end. This is very common practice, especially in this day. Whenever a general or a king or one who was conquering, he would come in in Rome specifically. He would come in riding on a white horse. And all the folks that he had conquered, the other kings and all the people, they would be walking behind that conqueror as he rides in on a white horse to all the pomp and circumstance, letting everybody know, I'm the man up in here. And so we see this white horse. Now, the idea of horses, it has the the picture and what he's painting for us is God's activity on earth. Whenever you see this, you see God's activity on earth. It's not the first time we've seen horses. Let me just give you some. Scripture references you can just jot down for later study. Uh, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Zechariah 1, 7 through 17, and Zechariah 6, 1 through 8. And then Ezekiel, Ezekiel 14, 12 through 23. And I want you to pay very close attention to verse 21. Verse 21, you see these four signs. And so we, we see that this, this first movement, this first event that happens after the seal is broken is we, we see this, this victor is coming and he's riding on a horse. And we get some more information about this individual. Let me just read the information. It says, and I, and I saw, and I saw he who sat on it, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. 
Now, there are those who would submit to you that this is talking about Jesus, that, you know, Jesus, he's the one that rides the right horse. And can I just tell you, whenever we get to Revelation chapter 19, you're going to find that it's talking about Jesus and he rides the white horse. But can I tell you, this is not talking about Jesus right here. I know y'all think a preacher, how do you know that with so much confidence? Because of what it says about the individual. Number one. We know the company that he keeps. We see that that he's going to be going out to conquer. We see the death and the war. And so can I just tell you, bad company corrupts good character. And we can tell the type of company that this individual is bringing with them will let us know that it's not Jesus Christ. Y'all know we use this phrase in our in our day. If you lay down with dogs, what you get up with? You would heard it before. So the company you keep matters. The company you keep matters. And we see the company that this this one is keeping. It, it matters. You see, I want to submit to you, it's not talking about Jesus Christ. One, because we see that nobody commands Jesus to do anything. We see that he's commanded as he comes out. We also see that there's a crown. It's a crown. But that word for crown is not the crown that's used for Jesus' crown. This is the victor's crown, the Stephanos. What Jesus gets is the diadem. That's the crown upon crown upon crown. So we know. But there's another piece. Did you catch it? It says that he had a bow. Did y'all catch that? What do you notice is missing? He has a bow, but what? No arrow, right? And many times when we look at this, we, we, we automatically assume, okay, th- this is the Antichrist. This is the, this is the one who is against Christ, that there's places. But can I tell you, I believe this is very specific, the reason why there is no arrow. Because when you read your Bible, the Bible is tipping us off to something very important here. The, the first place that we are introduced to a bow is in Genesis chapter nine. Y'all know what bow that is? The rainbow. That's the first bow we're intru- that we're introduced to in, in Genesis chapter nine. We are, int- we are introduced to this bow. And you remember that God, he, he gave this sign, the sign of a bow. He made this promise to Noah and to all the animals. And he made this promise to you and I that he was not going to flood the earth again. So he makes a covenant. He makes a covenant promise with us. That, that's the signal of the bow. So every time you see the rainbow, whether it's a single or a double, it's reminding you and me that God's not going, he's not going to flood the earth again like he did when in Noah's day. So when we see this, I, I believe we should read not necessarily Archer, but we should read covenant that this individual, when he comes, when this one comes, he has a bow. He's going to he's going to make a covenant. He's going to make a promise. He's going to make a promise to all the world, but specifically to Israel. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down so you can read it now and you can pick it up later another time. But in Daniel in Daniel nine verses twenty six through twenty seven, we get a snapshot of this individual. It says, then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and sanctuary. And its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Here we go. You ready for it? And he will make a firm, what's the word? Covenant with the many for one week. That one week in scripture means a, a, a seven years, a, week, a seven year period of time. But in the middle of the week, so if we're going to do some math here, let's do some division. Seven divided by two, what do we get? Three and a half. But in the middle of the week, he puts a stop 
to sacrifice and grain offerings. And on the wing of abomination, it will come one who make who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out. On the one who makes desolate. So in Daniel 9, you have this one, this, this one who makes a pact, the covenant, the one of lawlessness. We see this also in the New Testament. Let me just pull it to you in 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. says this, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. And they will not escape. You see, the picture here is that as God's Wrath, as it moves, it intensifies. Remember, we saw Jesus in his passage as he was talking to the disciples. He said it's like labor pains. And, and, and even in Thessalonians, we see it's like labor pains. And my sister can attest. I don't know from experience. I was just standing there. But what I remember seeing is that those the pains, it became more intense. They became more sharp and quickly as it got closer to the baby being born. And so what he's saying here, these things that we see happening, these events that are happening in human history, you're going to see them get more intense and you're going to see them happen more frequently until the second coming of Christ. So the first piece that we have to see here is deception. You see, the enemy is the deceiver and that's what he loves to do. And so he likes to counterfeit. And so this idea of the white horse and one coming and conquering, he's trying to match all these things about Christ. But can I tell you, this is not Jesus Christ. And he seeks to try to deceive people, to be able to trap them into bondage. Now, I know y'all look at me like, you know, preacher, you said we're going to already be gone. So why do I need to worry about this? What? what, what I, you said we gone. Why does this even matter to me? Well, I'm so glad you asked. In 1 John chapter 2, let's look at it together. The same John that God is using to bring us revelation. This is what he had to say in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. He says it this way. You ready? He says, children. It is the last hour. Just so you know, we still we in that last hour. It is the last hour. And just as as you heard that Antichrist is coming. Y'all ready for it? Even now, say it with me. Many Antichrists have appeared. Y'all catch that? Now, this is important. Before I keep reading it, this is important. This idea of deception where the enemy wants to take you captive with deception. This is very important that we catch this because Satan, because he does not know the exact time. There always has to be one waiting in the wings, waiting to be able to assume the spot. This idea of the Antichrist, the one who will come in, the lawlessness, the man of sin that will come in to bring deception. Says it this way. They have appeared. For this we know. That it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you. And you all know. Now, that verse 20 is very important because that's the way in which we discern, the way in which we can tell the deception from the truth. Now, before I keep reading, I just want to ask you a quick question. You know, how, how can you tell a counterfeit $100 bill from a real $100 bill? How can you tell? You know the marks. There's a certain way it feels. It would fascinate you to know 
how people get trained to be able to recognize counterfeit bills. You know what they do? They deal with the real thing all the time. They, they study it, they, 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 they smell it, they handle it. So that way they are so keen on knowing what the real is, is that so it'll be easy for them to be able to spot when it's false. You see, what we have to understand is that God, when he saved us, did you catch it? You have thing from the Holy One. That God, when he saves us, he fills us. He fills us with himself, his spirit. The Holy Spirit of God comes into us and he is giving us what we need to know. Then we can understand the word and we apply these things to be able to recognize the truth from a lie. He says it this way in verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Now, he's going to give us a, a way of clarifying here. Who is the liar? Verse 22, who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the father and the son. See, in our day, can I just tell you, people love talking about God. God, 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 all the time. They talk about God, but let's talk about Jesus Let's get real specific. You start bringing in Jesus, you start bringing in the son, and you better believe you're going to have some struggles. You can have some pushback. You start talking about Jesus. That's when you start running into the friction. So we see it's a package deal. You don't get God the father without God the son. They go together. And so we must see that in these times, there's going to be this deception that's going to be real, just like it is in our time. Our time is a time of deception where people try to take you captive by thoughts and philosophies and all those things. And so we don't just get to say, oh, this is for a time, you know, that I'm not going to be here. No, we have to be ready and willing to stand on the truth and for the truth, even in our day. Because deception is real. And can I just tell you? He's going to look the part. You know, most people, when they think about the devil and about the way in which he works, they expect him to be in a red jumpsuit with horns and a pitchfork. Right. No, I'm sorry. That's not how it works. This thing looks real attractive. You know, in my mind, it's kind of like, you know, whenever they see you those credit card applications in the mail, they're like, you guess we got good news for you. You didn't know it, but you got twenty thousand dollars available on the credit card. All you do is just sign your life over. Let us know all your information. We're going to send the card to you. Now, in the real fine little print down there. Fine, fine little print down there that you didn't read. It let, they didn't tell you out loud, like in the, in the big letters when they said you got all this money. They didn't tell you. They listen, by the way, we're going to charge you 18% on whatever you spend, and we're going to have you hooked for the rest of your life. And you see, that's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to make sin. He loves to make this world. He loves to make all these things look attractive. And down in the fine print where, you know, nobody's paying attention, he's letting you know that you're going to be his slave for the rest of your life, for all of eternity. He's saying we got to be aware the deception is real. The second thing is our second seal, destruction. Verse 3 and 4 says this, when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth and that men would slay one another and a great sword was given to him. The second seal is broken. We see this seal of destruction, but did you catch it? Did you catch it? Who broke the seal? 
Did y'all see it? It says, and he broke. Still talking about the lamb. So what we need to understand is that Jesus has the authority that the lamb is still in control. That whenever you see this, just like when he broke the first seal, that some went out, the lamb is letting us know. He's letting you know, letting me know, letting us collectively know, the church all over the world know that the lamb is still in control. We see that this seal produces what type of horse? A red one. Red horse. And we see that this color, it, it has a very vivid meaning, means bloodshed or slaughter. Bloodshed or slaughter. That whenever this movement happens, whenever this, this judgment takes place in the sealed judgment, when this happens, it's very clear. He says that he takes peace from the earth. It was granted to take peace from the earth. That this is going to be a great time of death and slaughter and rebellion and riot and fear. And unrest among peoples in all nations. Now, I just want to lay out before you a passage to, to I believe it highlights very clearly what it's like in the world today. And it's, it's found, if you're taking notes, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it's verses 1 through 5. And, and I just want you to hear me as I read this. And you tell me, you, you tell me if this describes uh, humanity. It says, but realize this, that in the last days, what days are we talking about? Last days. Difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Boastful. Arrogant. Violers. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Unloving. Irreconcilable. Malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, verse five trips me out here. Now, y'all ready for verse five? You ready? They go to church. They have a Bible. Holding to a form of godliness. Y'all catch that? We, we see all these things about them, but get, they go to church. They have a Bible. They, they do all these religious things. Oh, man, they just at peace, at one. They got all these things. Holding to a form of godliness. You ready for it? Although they have what? Denied its power. I mean, they don't even believe it. What does the Bible say about such men? Avoid such men as evil. So when we, when we look at this, this, this construction, this understanding that the world, that there's going to be peace stripped from this world. And there's going to be war. And we're going to see death and slaughter. You know, it, it should cause us to think about our life and, and how we go about living this side of all these things. But it should also remind us that, listen, there's going to be this conqueror, this guy, he's going to come and people are going to be so ready for him to fix the problems, so ready for him to fix all the bad stuff that they're going to be ready to give him their allegiance. They're going to be ready to give him anything that he wants. Right. And can I tell you what we should learn about this passage? If there is only one person that is worth your 100 percent allegiance and that's Jesus Christ, there's only one. 
Now I know y'all hear me. You're like, you know what, Jamar? It's political season coming up yet next year. We're going to be voting. We got local elections, state elections, and national elections. And I believe you should be involved in all those things. You hear what I'm telling you? I think you should, you should be aware of the issues. You should know what's happening. You should know what's going on, the ins and outs of every party, everything they believe, how they voted in past, present, and future to get a, a sense of what they're going to do in the future. I believe you should do all those things. But can I tell you, there's only one that's worthy of 100% of your loyalty and adoration. And what happens is that when this individual, when he comes, he brings a sword. It starts out like peace. It starts out like, man, he's going to make this covenant. But then you see, you see ultimately what happens. You see what it says? A great sword was given to him. Now, what should we do? Because y'all like, I, I can still hear you out there. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be here for you. I just said we in heaven. So why do I need to worry about this? I'm so glad you asked. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, it tells us what we need to do right now. How we need to re respond related right now. It says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of who? All men. Did y'all catch that? So, so when we look at this verse one here, God is, is clear about this thing about our prayer life, us talking to God, our supplication and drawing close to him, having worship and having petitions because we want to see things change. If you go around and you get a petition together, it's because you want to see something change. When we petition God, it's because we want to see things change and we do it and it's enveloped in this whole thanksgiving that we, we are appreciative of what he has already done. And we should do that for who? All men. You mean even the guys we don't like? Even the politicians we don't like? Even the folks we disagree with? We're supposed to do this? Yeah, look, look, verse 2, just in case you don't think we... For kings and... Y'all ready for it? Most of the people who are in authority. Is that what that Bible says? Is that what it says? It says for kings and all who are in authority. We're supposed to pray... We're supposed to have supplication, even if we can't stand them. Even if we disagree with them. I didn't write this. So, so in our time right now, what, what's our role? We do this. Here's why. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. There's a reason why we do it. But catch this now, because some people, when they read it, they think, yeah, we need that thing quiet. I, I've been needing a little peace. I want to give me get my lemonade over there and put my feet up and kick it. No, that's not what it's about. Because the text continues to tell us. It says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires, it's about salvation, all men to be saved. That's why we pray. That's why we talk to God. That's why even if there's a dictator, that's why we do all these things because God is desiring that all men be saved. We want to be peaceful and tranquil so we can move in and get the gospel in. That's why we want to be peaceful. Who desire for them all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Reason why that's important is because there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself, verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. And so in this time, right now, it's much bigger than a political party. It's much bigger than the laws. It has to do with the eternal state and soul of men and women, boys and girls over this planet. Because we do not want them to have to go through what we are talking about right now. 
Red horse. Not the last one, though. We have two more. The third movement we see deprivation we see in verses five and six. It says this when he broke the third seal. I heard. The third living creature saying, come. I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a, a quart of wheat for denarius. And three, of course, barley for denarius. And do not damage the oil and the wine. After this third seal breaks, we see a black horse. But did you catch who broke the third seal? Did y'all see who broke the third seal? The same one who broke the first and the second, the lamb. So you know what that tells us? The lamb is in control. And he, after this, we see this idea of this black horse. Now, when you see this black horse, we've already seen this idea of black. Whenever we looked at the, the, the seven churches, that, that there was one church that they made this nice, black, luxurious wool. And some, sometimes when you look at scripture and you see black, it, could, it has to do with luxury. But in this case, it doesn't have to do with luxury. In this case, it has to do with famine. It has to do with the fact that there's going to be great starvation. How do we know that? Well, let's just show you in the Old Testament real quick. And then we'll bring it back to the New Testament. In Lamentations chapter 5, verse 10, we see this understanding. Lamentations 5, 10 says this. Our skin has become as hot as an oven because of the burning heat of famine. The burning heat of famine. It's, it's, a, it's a way of showing the, the death that comes from famine, the, the hardship, the destruction, the intensity that comes from famine. The way in which we, we know we know that it's dealing with famine. One is because we know that following real close behind war is famine. When you look in war torn areas and you look in areas where great battles are faced and happening, you look at these areas, you see famine, you see starvation. It's a real thing. We see that it's coming. Starvation worldwide. This shortage is a shortage of supply and production. That there's not enough for everybody. And then there's not enough to even be able to be produced. So, so we see that in, in terms of the, the struggle between wheat and barley. But then there's still this gap, though. So let's just look at this. Case. Let's break this down. He says that there are a pair of scales in his hand. The idea of scales has to do with the economic terms and conditions. So he's saying that there are scales in his hands, that there are some terms and conditions that we're going to see that come along with this type of famine. That whenever you have somebody who has is he has the sword and they are executing war and fighting and you have starvation, those things that they're going to be economic conditions that are going to be set to be able to even be able to get food. And, and we see out of that that there's inflation. One of these issues that we're going to deal with is inflation. When you when you look in verse six, it tells you how much wheat you would get for a day's wage. A denarius is a is a day's wage. And so when he says. A quarter wheat, that one person can eat one meal on a quarter wheat. And so what he's saying to us here is that in this time, in human history, when this takes place, you will work all day long and you'll be able to have one meal. That, that's if you get wheat. Now, you notice there's some barley, right? You can get a little bit more barley. Barley is the poor man's food. 
And so you can get three, you can get th three times as much barley, so you can eat three times on one day's wage. But the, the problem here is that when you had worked that one day, that was just enough for that man. So let us say, I, I'm a man, I have a family. So I work all day long, but I would just have enough for me. That doesn't count my wife, doesn't count my children. And so thus you have all this economic hardship and difficulty that we're facing as this time happens. You know, one of the things about this starvation and about this difficulty is you, you also see a gap. Did you catch what he said about the oil and the wine? Did you catch that? He said, do not damage the oil and the wine. Don't damage the oil and the wine. And we have two things that we should learn here. Number one is that there's going to be this big gap and there's also a limitation. So, 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 so even whenever the judgment is coming, the one who is judging is, is, is able to, to limit it, still in control. And so there's a gap. There's a big gap. You have all those that are down here, the have-nots, and they're struggling, working all day long for one meal. But then you have the, the oil and wine. It's not being damaged. It's still flowing freely. You have all these folks, that the, the, the rich, they still have it. There's this big gap between people. You can see where the control is going to come in later when we see how there's going to be economic power by this one who rides on this white horse. Can I just encourage you for a minute? I know I'm swinging hard. Because y'all are thinking, you know what, well, we won't be here. I ain't got to worry about the famine. That ain't us. I'm glad we gone. Preach of peace and blessings, right? So how should we live today? Well, one of the things that you will know is that there are places in our world right now that are experiencing famine. Is that correct? Yeah. And what I believe God allows is in the midst of these things, he gives us these opportunities to see things in, in small pockets, in small places, to be able to let us know that, listen, this, this is the shadow, this is the thunder of something that is great coming, a storm that is great that is coming. And he gives us the opportunity to be able to go to those places and to begin to introduce and to affect change and to be able to show them the truth about who he is as such they will not have to live in these conditions in this time. You know, I just encourage you to do a study. You can go. Compassion has great studies on this. Baptist Global Response have great studies on this just at the, at the starvation rate in our world. That when you look at that, that in our world, more people die from starvation and AIDS and in malaria combined. That when you look at children, especially in developing countries, what we, what we might call you know, undeveloped or old time, we would say third world. When you look at these, how children... You know, like 42% of children that die, die from starvation. And when you, when you look at their bellies, you'll see sometimes they have big bellies like they've been eating real good, but that's because they are malnourished. And we see these things, and can I just tell you right now, God, he has called you and he has called me, listen, to not just feed bellies, but to feed souls. But a great thing happens when we go into these areas and to these places and we provide these types of nourishments, when as we're feeding the soul, we, we can begin to connect and see the belly helped as well. He's called us today. He's given us a great opportunity. I want us to see the last seal. The last seal, verses 7 and 8, seal of death, it says this, When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked and behold, an asking horse, this means green, and he who sat on it had the name Death. 
and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Did you see this fourth seal? Who broke the fourth seal? The lamb. Because the lamb is in control. And when we see this, we, we understand, we see this, that this is death. This is a very hard thing. And I know I've been swinging hard. So let me just pull us up for a minute. Give us a breath and then we're going to dig back down. That makes sense. I can just sense I need to pull us up just for a minute. Anybody in here love to play games, board games? Anybody? We got anybody? Yeah, Monopoly games like that? Yeah. At my house, we love operation. We got operation at the house. Y'all know operation. You know what I'm talking about? You put in an e when you're trying to get, to get it out, perform surgeries and get the money. I love me some operation now. Especially, you know, when you go in and you pull a card and you get to see how much money you make. Let, you get, let me get the specialist card. It's on when I get the specialist card. And I'm talking to my son. I'm talking noise to him. And, you know, we got big ball, all that money flowing in there. It's great. But, you know, when I think about that game, when I think about life. That, you know, it's just a game that happens in a moment of time. And then what happens, though, is that whenever the game is over, it gets put in a box and the box gets closed up. And whatever money I've won, whatever things I've accomplished, it's all done. And when I take that game into real life, can I just tell you that some of us, we're looking at all the money we have and all the accolades and all the things that we do. But can I tell you, there's going to come a day when a box is going to close over you. And I know we don't like to talk about death. We don't like to talk about that all, but it's a reality. A box is going to close and all that money, all the comments, all that, that's, it's not going to help you one bit. It's got to do with the preparation of your soul for that day. And as we look, as we talk, there, there's going to be a very difficult time. And this horse is greenish, almost a color of a corpse, a decaying corpse. And we see that with war and with famine and pestilence and, and even the beast, even the beast going to get into the act. They're going to be eating up folks. And we see that we see that, that, that this death and Hades were granted authority because the lamb is still in control. And you might think that's funny. Death and Hades meaning like, why are they together? But here's the deal. Death claims the body. Hades claims the soul. That's why they run together. Death can do nothing with the soul. Death can just take the body. But the soul, there has to be a, a place, a place for the, the soul. As we keep rolling, what you're going to find out is that Hades is a place where all those who do not believe in God, that's where they go now. And there's going to come a time where that place gets cast into the lake of fire. That's what we call hell. And so we see that they're rolling real close together. Death and Hades, gobbling up folks. As a matter of fact, did you read how many people? Did you read it? Did you catch it? It says this, authority was given them. Over how much? A fourth of the earth. Can I say it a different way? 25%. Everybody good with that? I know we did math last time we were here. We, you know, we're taking fractions into decimals, okay? We all right? 25%. Okay? We good? Now, when you hear that number, I know a lot of times we don't, we don't think about that. We don't think about this. And it says that 25% of the earth is going to, to be killed. Notice this. By sword, by famine, by pestilence, by wild beasts of the earth. Now, y'all might think, what in the world is wild beasts of the earth? Can I just, I just want to read you Genesis 9 2, just real quick, and then I'm going to wrap this thing up. But what we fail to realize, 
and I had to teach my kids this because my daughter, especially, she was like, Dad, I want to catch a bird. Why do birds always fly away from me? Dad, I want to catch a squirrel. Why do they always run away from me? I said, baby, that's because God put in them to be afraid of you. Really? Yes. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth. Did y'all catch this? And on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are given. That's what God told Noah whenever he got ready to get off. He, I'm going to make sure that the, the animals, that way you can survive. That way the, the lions ain't eating you up immediately. That way the tigers and bears, oh my, they ain't getting you. Okay? And so what happens is that in this time, someone see that that thing, that thing that he does right there, that's stripped out. And so now they just gobble you up. They're lying like, yeah, he was good, wasn't he? Good, yeah, he was good. Fourth of the earth. Now, if we're going to just run the numbers, let me just run the numbers for you real quick. Because this should, this should get our attention. 25% of the earth, when this happens, 25%. If you, if you look it up right now, you'll see that, that their population studies, world it, it it takes our population and it's always going up and down. People are being born, people are dying. It's always moving. But it would hold around 7.7 .7 billion people. 7.7 .7 billion. If you do, do the math of 7.7 .7 billion, if you say a fourth or 25% of 7.7 .7 billion people, you want me to tell you how many people that is? 1.93 billion. I know y'all like, that's some numbers. We, we don't get that. So let me just put it to you like that. If you add all of China, all of the United States, and all of Mexico, you will still have some left to get to 1.9. So you imagine right now, imagine right now, China, everybody there, gone. Right now, we're in America, everybody here, gone. Everybody in Mexico, gone. That's 1.93 billion people. Seven-year period? It's an amazing time. It's going to be a heartbreaking time. And the reality is, is that we have to understand this. You see, I believe that God put this in his word for us to let us know that we have a task before us. And, and that task, I'm just going to say it to you, is that we would see just how good God is and what his work on the cross has accomplished. You know, I didn't grow up going to church. I always tell everybody I was a CEO, went on Christmas and Easter only. That was me. But I can remember there was a song, there was a song that I would hear when I was a, a little kid, and maybe y'all heard the song too. He's got the whole world in his hands. Everybody remember? Everybody remember, anybody remember that song? He got the whole world. Now, I'm not going to sing it because I'm not a singer, okay? But if I was, I'd sing. Right now, break out in the song. But he's got the whole world in his hands. And whenever he takes that scroll, what he's letting us know is he got the whole, the lamb is still in control. That he has the whole world in his hands. Me and you, sister and brother, wind, sun, waves, all that. He got it all in his hands. And, th and that's what he's trying to get across to us. That history is in his hands. Now, can I just ask you a question as I close? Since he has history in his hands, are you trusting him? 
Are you trusting him? You see in 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter 3, 11, I ask myself the question. So what's our role in this? What's our role in this life, in this world? Now that we've seen, we know these things are going to happen. What's our role? The, the, the apostle Peter, he writes for us because he has information on what it's going to be like in these difficult times as well. And after he shares, he comes to this conclusion. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? He has a great, it's a great statement that, that our lives, because we know, because we know what's happening, what's going to happen, what type of people ought we to be godly and holy? Being able to show people, letting them know, listen, that, that, that there's an earthquake coming. There's a time coming. But listen, you do not have to go through it if you'll be willing to surrender your life to the Lord. You know, the other day. It was bedtime at the Andrews household. And uh, we've been walking through the Gospels and the life of Jesus Christ. And we've been watching some videos related to Jesus and, and some things that he did on while he was on this earth. And my son, we were sitting there, we were watching and it was it was documenting the time in which he went into the temple and he, he braided together a whip and he turned over the money changers tables and he whooped everything, got everything out of the temple. And my son looking, he, he looked and he said, Dad, Jesus being mean. He's mean. Why is he doing that to those people? And it hit me. This is the first time my son is really hearing about the justice of God. You know, most of the time when we when we talk about God, we talk about his grace. We talk about his mercy. We talk about his goodness and his forgiveness and his patience and all those things. And let me tell you, those are all true. But guess what? He is also just. And there's going to come a time. And I know I know this is not the part that we like to talk about. But when you decide that you reject him, that you say no to Jesus, then you say yes to the punishment. You say yes to, to being in the judgment. That, that's just the way it works. He has come down to this earth, endured all the suffering, all the judgment, all the pain. So you and I would not have to. But if you say no to it, then guess what? You get to go through it. When you look at Noah's ark, it, all through the Bible is trying to teach us this principle. Whenever Noah was building that ark all those years, every time a plank got put on that boat, it was God's grace to the people saying, look, it's getting ready to rain. As that boat sat in that dry dock, it's getting ready to rain. Every day, Noah, preacher of righteousness, he telling the people about the rain getting ready to come. They looking at him like, no, you crazy. What you smoking, Noah? What you been on, Noah? What you taking, Noah? Something wrong with you, Noah. All those years, his grace, his grace, his grace. Boat gets, gets built. As they saw the animal star coming, they should have knew something was up. That's his grace showing. He's showing. They get in. When you read that account very clearly, it says that God shut the door on the boat. God shut the door on the boat. So what I'm saying to you is that Jesus Christ in his grace and his goodness, listen, he has come down and he has built the ark of our salvation. It is himself. And he is inviting you to get on it because there's coming a day and a time in which it will close up and you won't be able to get on. It's coming a time. 
And you have to ask yourself. See, I believe God, he put this in here, not just to, to scare us, to be scared, but he's trying to let us know the reality of what's said before us. So the question is, have you been willing to trust him? Will you pray with me? God, we love you. And as we go into this time of reflection and response, Lord, I'm just thankful that the lamb is in control. And that, Lord, that there are many things in our day people want to scare us about global warming and people want to scare us about disease and people want to scare us about pestilence. But, Lord, I pray that we would take this passage of Scripture to mind every time we say the lamb is still in control. That, God, we would look at our lives individually and we would understand that, Lord, you're in control. And that, Lord, we would follow suit. We would follow your will and way. Lord, you know the world we live in. You know the condition of man. Lord, we are selfish. Lord, we, we, we love things, doing it our way. Lord, all the list of things, Lord, that, that's our time. That's right now. But God, I pray that we would be a people that live holy and godly in this time so that people can come to know you, Lord. And they won't have to be here for this. Lord, I can't imagine. And Lord, I know that many times when I think about my daughter and I think about my son and Lord willing, Lord, one day you give me grandchildren. Like, what, what is it going to be like for them? But Lord, my mind has to always go back to the lamb is in control. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that, Lord, we will be about your business. That, Lord, we'll be about your business in prayer. That, Lord, we would intercede and we would pray for our brothers and sisters around this world, for those who have not given their life to you, Lord, that the enemy has put up strongholds in their minds and they have rejected the truth. That, Lord, we will be intentional about praying for them. We will be intentional with sharing the gospel with them. We'll be intentional to go in the places where we already see the shadows of these things, where we see the shadows of deception, the shadows of war, the shadows of famine, the, the shadows of death that we would go to these places and we would share with them uh, the life-giving message of your life, death, burial, and resurrection. And Lord, we would meet the needs in that place. And that there will be many that are redeemed. Lord, it's so easy for us to get caught up in this, in this American lifestyle, American dream. And Lord, it's so easy for us to lose focus of the fact that, Lord, we are ambassadors here. We are on a mission here. And God, I don't believe that we should be ashamed of the houses or the cars or the clothes or the jobs or any of those things. But we should not attach so tightly to them that we don't utilize them to see people come to know you. That everything we have is yours. Every relationship, God, you want to use to leverage, to bring people into a relationship, a lasting vibrant relationship. You, you want to use our marriages, God. You want to use our children, God. You, you want to use all the things we have. You want to use it for your glory to see people come to know you. So God, I pray we'll remember that. Lord, I, I've not met everybody here. I don't know who, who's given their life to you, who's saved. 
Who's not? Lord, I pray if there's anybody here, Lord, they've never given their life to you. I can't think of a better time than right now or a better place than right here in this service. That they would call out to and they would say, Lord Jesus, save me. Thank you for dying, for being buried and coming back on the third day so I could have life. They would say to you, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Bring me into your family. Use me. God, I pray that, Lord, we would understand what we have in you and that, Lord, you're still in control. We love you, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior. He will save you. If you're listening to the service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service time. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media, at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time, right here at Word Baptist Church.